Well, I want to ask you a question to start off here this morning. Are you a gullible person or a skeptical person? Or are you an optimist or a pessimist? How's that? I, 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 I don't like to admit that I am an optimist, but I am. I, it's not something I ever, I ever actually thought of myself. I thought I was fairly pragmatic, but I'm, I'm an optimist. And at times that leads me to being a little gullible. Although I've been burned before, like one example is when I was a kid, I, I don't know why, but I had this dream that I always wanted to have a mini fridge and a lazy boy. And you know, kids with their imaginations, you know, you could imagine anything, but that was my dream. A mini fridge and a lazy boy. So don't judge me by that. I have bigger dreams now. But <laughs> one, uh, one Christmas, uh, for my, my dad's family would do this gift exchange uh, with my stepfamily, this extended thing. And uh, one year, I got a pack and it had lottery tickets in it, scratch and win lottery tickets. And little did I know that they may not have been real. But I didn't know that. I was a kid. So I scratched them, and I won a 1000 bucks. And I wasn't great at math, but I thought, well, you know, that's enough for a lazy boy in a mini fridge and keep that thing stocked. So I'm running around. I'm excited. I'm happy. My dad keeps asking, can I, can I see that ticket? Can I, can I see it? And I was just too excited. I couldn't sit down. And then he... Uh, he grabbed it from me, and he turned it over, read the backside, and it says, these are not real. It said it in more legal jargon, but I was a little crushed. So, you know, I got burned once for being optimistic, but I, I'm still an optimist. But, you know, there's sometimes that we, we put faith in things that aren't real. And even the most uh, realistic people sometimes can put faith in things that let them down, such as lottery tickets. And uh, Kirsten and I, yesterday, we were uh, asking each other some questions that we found online that are fun to do every once in a while, and then she found these funny stats. And I don't, I don't verify the uh, likelihood of this, but uh, they, one of the stats was that you're more likely to die driving towards the store to buy a lottery ticket than you are to win with that lottery ticket. <laughs> and with the, uh, the rate of accidents these days, that, that's probably true. But yet... People, even though you can know those stats, people will still buy lottery tickets because they trick themselves. Well, for me, it's true. But being optimistic and having, putting your faith in things is actually a good thing if you put it in the right things. So many people today, they're skeptical. Many people are skeptical that when we read stories of miracles, when we read things, they say that doesn't really happen. People are making it up. We hear of things happening and we hear of miraculous healings without using medical science, and we think, well, that's probably not true. Maybe it happened back in the day, but it doesn't really happen anymore. Uh, sometimes maybe for good reasons, because in Western culture, we've had, uh, I won't start naming names of people, but there's been charlatans that have tried to sell miracles. They'll sell holy water, that if you take this special water that they blessed and give them 19.99 U.S. plus shipping, you'll be healed. And so, yes, we're skeptical. It makes sense. That's probably not legitimate. And uh, skepticism isn't actually something that's new uh, to North America. Thomas Jefferson, one of the people that helped found America, he actually took uh, the Bible, the New Testament, uh, the four Gospels, and took out anything that had to do with miracles or anything that, that didn't seem likely to him. And he, he changed it to be calling a book called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. So he took the Bible and took everything out of it that he didn't like and just made it, this is the life and morals of Jesus. 
But part of Jesus' life that we're looking into is that he was the great physician. And part of him being the great physician was he did healing miracles. Jesus was a healer. And he performed miraculous healings. It actually says that he performed so many miracles that they didn't even bother writing them all down. But some of the miracles that he performed we're going to be looking at today. But one of the truths that we'll look at today is that Jesus came to bring healing and wholeness to humanity. One of the things that that Jesus did when he was healing was he didn't just heal people's bodies. He actually healed their spirits. And the the most important thing that he did was he came to bring restoration to humanity's state. We had fallen away. We had rebelled against God. And that's the most important healing that he came, to bring healing to our relationship with him. But to back to this, this uh, bodily healing, as the Church of the Nazarene, we have a statement on divine healing, which I think is, is pretty uh, clear-cut and to the point. It says, we believe in the biblical doctrine of divine healing and urge our people to offer the prayer of faith for the healing of the sick. But we also believe God heals through the means of medical science. So it says, first of all, we do believe in biblical healing. We believe that when Jesus healed people, when he prayed to God the Father and he prayed for people to be healed, that God would respond miraculously. God can heal miraculously, but he doesn't always. Sometimes he uses medical means, and sometimes he doesn't heal at all. But it's simple and straightforward. We should pray that prayer of faith, but it's not about telling God what to do. It's asking him and then releasing it to what he wants out of it. And as we've been talking about, we're looking at Jesus' life in the book of Mark. And the main focus of the book of Mark is showing that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is the Savior, the one who came to save humanity. He was the the long-awaited Messiah. And the Old Testament has hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. And the way that prophecy usually worked is uh, they would write something and people would think they knew what it meant but they often got it wrong. But one of the prophecies that they had was from Isaiah, and it talked about the Messiah, about when God came back, when when God came in the flesh, that he would heal all of humanity. And it says in Isaiah 35, 4b to 6, this prophecy of the Messiah, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with a vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shouts for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So this prophecy is talking about uh, different types of healing that for the Old Testament people, they knew that these things were only in the power of God. They knew it was beyond what they could do. So if God healed people of these things, it was truly God at work. And so they chose to believe that this prophecy was true and that God would do this because they had faith. They weren't skeptical in the way that, uh, that maybe people would be these days. They assumed that God would make these things happen. Even if they didn't understand how it would happen, or even if they tried to guess the exact way that the Messiah would come, They were a little off, but they still had faith that this Messiah, this healing Messiah would come. And so the breaking in of the kingdom of God 
began at Jesus' birth in such a powerful way, and it continues to this day. And in the Old Testament, it prophesied about a man coming who would save God's people, this king that would reign forever, and that he would be a healer. And today we're looking at three different passages. As I talked about, we're kind of experimenting how we're going through the book of Mark, and you all have to come along with me, because I'm the one with the microphone. And so we're looking at three passages. One is in Mark 2, Mark 7, and then Mark 8. So we're kind of bouncing around, but I picked these particular three miracles because they are clearly miracles that could only be done in God's power. And so the first of these we're looking at is a man who was paralyzed, but he had some great friends. And for those who have uh, been around church for a while or read the Bible, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Uh, but it's the, the man who is paralyzed. But in Mark 2, 1 to 12, I'm reading out of the NIV. It'll be on the screen behind me in, in chunks. Or I'd love it if you have a hard copy Bible or an iBible if you flip along and track along with me. But it says in Mark 2, 1 to 12, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, whether this story is new to you, or if it's one that's familiar to you, this is an amazing thing. First of all, one of the miracles is that this guy had so many good friends that they would actually carry him all the way there and saying, well, the crowd's too big. Instead of going home, be like, we'll try Jesus another day. They actually go, I can only imagine, you're carrying this guy on a mat. You climb onto the roof of this house. It doesn't say they have rope. It doesn't say they have pulleys. That would have been hard work. And then they dig through the roof of this person's house to get to Jesus and lower him down. That's amazing. Who has friends like that? I'd love to have four friends like that. Now, this guy uh, came to Jesus because the people had already heard that Jesus was at work. Jesus had already been healing people. Jesus had already been doing amazing works. And the, the word had spread. The crowds had come in so much numbers that he had this packed house. And it even gives a detail. They couldn't even get towards the door. They couldn't even stand out the door and say, Hey, Jesus, we have someone out here. Could you... They couldn't possibly get to him, but they were relentless. And Jesus actually points to the friend's faith. He says, you guys have so much faith to bring your friend here to me, and you're relentless in this, that you believe that if he comes to me, it will be a good thing. 
And so this whole interaction is important because it shows that Jesus is so much more than just a good teacher. Jesus, it said he was preaching the word of God to them. And the people sat and they listened. But Jesus is more than just a good teacher. He actually pulls out this title and declares himself the Son of Man. And this was a messianic title. This was a title showing that he was the promised Savior. The one who came to save. The one that they had been prophesying about for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they had been waiting and hoping for. And it, he shows instantly his authority by saying, this man's sins are forgiven. Notice he doesn't pray, Father, will you forgive this man's sins? No, he says, your sins are forgiven. There are some people that claim that Jesus didn't say he was God. That he never said that, that his disciples made that up after. Jesus very clearly here is showing people and declaring to people, I'm the son of man and I have authority to forgive sins. Only God had that authority. So he's saying, I am God and I'm forgiving this man's sins. Now, why did this guy come to Jesus? Do you think, well, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. That's why I'm going to Jesus. He came because he could walk. He was paralyzed. His, his issue, as far as he was concerned, was his paralysis. But that's not what Jesus dealt with first. Jesus actually dealt with his relationship issue. He had something that was blocking him and God, and it was his sin. So Jesus gave this man what he needed, not necessarily what he wanted first. He gave him forgiveness. Now, this man's physical state was a huge deal. We can only imagine what it was like back then, but this man was paralyzed. He was at a time when there wasn't a social security network per se. He completely depended on those around him. And he even depended on his friends to bring him there. He didn't have a powered wheelchair. He didn't have anything, any other way of getting around. Day to day, he relied on the generosity of others just to live. And so think of not only the physical limitations that this guy would have had. This guy was completely dependent on others. Imagine the emotional limitations that would bring. Imagine, imagine maybe the guilt that he would feel that his friends had to do all this work for him. Imagine maybe the psychological condition that this man couldn't even take care of himself. This man had a whole issue around him. And he actually, in the time of uh, the Old Testament, and even here when Jesus was first coming, was that he wouldn't have been allowed into certain areas of the temple to worship because he was paralyzed. He was lame. He wasn't allowed in certain areas. So he was even restricted in the ways that he could worship God with their system that they had. And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't address this external issue first. He starts by healing his relationship. And so Jesus shows his authority over not only this man's physical state, but his spiritual state. And human beings uh, are interesting, fascinating, weird creatures. We're so much more than animals. People try to say we're higher than animals and everything. But we, we have several aspects to who we are. We have a physical state our body, we have our emotional state, our emotions that run wild sometimes, like when I was jumping around thinking I had won a lottery. And we have, we have psychological uh, state of who we are. So we're, we're beings that are, when everything is working well in our bodies, we are whole. But if we have something physically wrong with us, sometimes it hurts us emotionally or psychologically, or maybe we have a psychological problem that can actually cause our bodies not to function as well. 
we're, we're this holistic beings, and when everything is working well, we're great. But we have this side that the world actually often ignores, and that's our spiritual side. And in a lot of ways, it's the most important, but it's the least thought about and least talked about. But Jesus, though, addresses this spiritual side first and foremost here in this miracle. So Jesus came to bring healing and wholeness to all of humanity. He didn't just come to heal our bodies or to give us our physical needs. He actually came to bring us wholeness, holistically healing us. Now, Jesus here, uh, healing, would have been uh, similar to, uh, and if anyone's a Lord of the Rings fan, I am a huge Lord of the Rings geek, but in, the, uh, in Lord of the Rings, there's this, uh, this legend about the king who is returning to Gondor. Gondor was this city uh, that, was, uh, that was very powerful. It was this, it was this uh, nation that was very powerful. And they had, uh, for hundreds of years, not had a king. Instead, they had a, had a steward, someone who was just holding the place of the king, waiting for this king to return. Tolkien was a Christian, and it's obviously a metaphor for Jesus. But one of the legends says that the king would have the hands of a healer. And so in the battle against, uh, against Sauron, a few of uh, Aragorn's friends are wounded, and nobody can heal them. But Aragorn comes in and heals them. And so they recognize that he is this promised king. And that's what Jesus is showing here. People are seeing him do things that no human being had ever done before. And so Jesus is, is if for those who are paying attention, Jesus is showing himself that he is this, this Messiah that has come. Now Jesus made this man who was paralyzed, who was lame in the old school language, jump in celebration. This man could, could worship in whatever way he wanted. He could get a job. He could get a trade. This changed this entire guy's life. But Jesus points out the sin cleansing is the primary and most important thing, but he also heals his body, which was certainly something this guy would have appreciated. Now, so the first one, Jesus heals paralysis. That's something that in uh, Isaiah 35, it talks about. It says, the lame will leap like a deer. You know that deer fencing has to be uh, eight feet tall to make it so the deer can't get over it? That's pretty high. If Jesus can make somebody who is lame leap like a deer, they can make them jump high. It's an amazing thing. So the first miracle, Jesus heals a paralyzed guy. Mark 7, 31 to 35. Jesus heals a uh, person who's mute and deaf. So jumping ahead to Mark 7, 31 to 35. It says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis, which means ten cities. There There are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Now for modern science, this is a little weird. You don't usually have a doctor come into the room in the medical examining room after you've waited in the the smaller waiting room for another 20 minutes and have the doctor put his fingers in your ears, spit, and then touch your tongue. You don't usually have that and then speak in another language and all of a sudden you can 
you're fine. That's not what we expect to happen in a doctor's waiting room. But back then, that's what they expected. They expected the person to do something, to physically touch the person, to maybe do whatever weird things, spit on the ground apparently, and that's what they were waiting for. And that's why it says, they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Now, Jesus didn't need to touch this man to heal him, but he did anyway to show and to demonstrate what he was doing at work here. So rather than doing medical tests, I can only imagine Jesus pulling out a, uh, I, don't, I can't even think of the names of those things, but like a little light with a flashlight with a magnifying glass on there. They would have just said, this is really weird. But that's, Jesus did what they would have expected. He touched the guy. And this actually raises a bit of the drama around this healing. So Jesus putting his finger in the guy's ears shows that he's touching his hearing. He's making it so he can hear. And he touches his tongue, which symbolizes his ability to speak. And then he looks up to heaven. In the, uh, in the, the Jewish way of praying, they would often pray with their hands raised, looking up to heaven. We do the opposite. We, we put our hands closed and bow. And, but it was their way of praying up to heaven. It was their way of praying to God. So he looks up to God the Father. And he has this deep sigh, which is an, which is an act of, uh, usually when you sigh, it's when you're either annoyed at something or you're depressed about something. Or, and so some of the commentators, the, the scholars that spend a lot of hours with books and not very many hours with people, they say that, uh, that this, was, this was probably his, his emotion and his sadness at the, the depths of humanity's suffering. That this man had went his whole life without truly being able to communicate. But Jesus sighs, and then he speaks out in Aramaic, uh, the word that means be opened. He does it with command. And it says right away, this man's ears were opened, and his tongue was loosened, and he could speak plainly. This man's uh, hearing and his speech was recovered right at that moment. And so this man was healed by Jesus. But uh, his physical healing, once again, alludes to the spiritual healing that Jesus comes to offer. So this man's ability to hear and to speak now and to communicate with other people is the same way that Jesus heals our spiritual deafness and muteness. When we first start to pursue after Jesus... It's not, we're not the primary one that's pursuing. He's already been pursuing us. There's this fancy theological term called prevenient grace, which means grace that goes before. When we actually come to a place where we say, I have faith in Jesus, God has been at work through his Holy Spirit, through hundreds of circumstances before that, through people he's brought into our lives, through things that we've heard, through things that have happened, and maybe we don't realize that, but God slowly opens up our ears to hear his voice and our mouths eventually to speak his words. And this is a process, just like Jesus goes through here. It's this slow touching in our lives. So when I first became a Christian, uh, I, for my birthday, that was only like a month later, I got given a Bible, a super thick uh, NIV student Bible. And it was great. I didn't have a Bible at home, so I said, well, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm a Christian now. I want to read the Bible. And I started in Genesis 1, and I started going through. It's not a very good idea for a new Christian especially. I think I got to like ha- halfway through Genesis and I stopped. And then eventually I picked it up a, uh, a year or two later and I tried again, tried to go over again. And then eventually I actually found a reading plan in the beginning. But 
I, I had this energy, I had this enthusiasm. I wanted to read the Word of God because I wanted to follow after Him, but it was a slog to get through. For anyone that's tried to read the Bible from front to back and hasn't really read the Bible before, it's not very recommended because it's hard. Usually most people give up Leviticus somewhere in there with all the rules or, you know, often uh, reading plans, they start in January and as you go through, they're usually done by February. But there's, there's lots of different reading plans out there. That's not my whole point to slog. I actually like reading Leviticus now. But back then, when I first started reading the Bible, it was hard. It was a chore. It was a task. But now I love reading the Bible. The last couple of years, I've actually read the whole way through the Bible in less than eight months. Because I just love reading the Word of God. Sometimes it's a discipline. Sometimes it's a discipline. But sometimes it's just a, it's an absolute joy. But one of the reasons that I've, that I've been able to do it is because I found better reading plans. <laughs> Rather than going straight through the Bible, there's different ones where it gets you in four different parts of the Bible. And uh, anyways, if you want more about that, you can email me or call me. I'll give you some advice. But Jesus, Jesus heals our spiritual deafness and muteness, which means that he gives us ears that can hear his voice. And he gives us mouths that can share the word of life to others. So Jesus' healing then and now is about not just correcting a few of the faults in our bodies, but it's actually about mending our relationship with him. I just noticed the Lord of the Rings shirt over there, which is great for that analogy. Sorry, I'm distracted, squirrel. Um, but Jesus was pointing to the great healing that was to come, which is the restoration of all humanity. But all of us, when, we, when anyone that comes to faith in Jesus, it's a process. It starts with little baby steps of maybe reading a, a devotional or maybe one verse a day, whatever we can do. And then maybe one time there's people that I've heard of that read through, have read through the whole Bible every year for over 50 years. And I can only imagine. They just have the Bible completely memorized. And I'd love to be there in 50 years. But Jesus came to, to bring hearing for the world. But the world, before they come into a relationship with this Jesus, is spiritually deaf and mute can't even hear the word of life. They ignore the word of life. But Jesus calls all people who are following after him to be his mouthpiece. He commands our mouths be opened and share the word of life around us. And the stammering that we start with, the little herky-jerky phrases that we try to do, we try to tell people about Jesus, eventually comes into this beautiful song of praise towards him. Now, here on earth, we sing worship songs that other humans wrote and made and inspired. There's thousands and thousands of songs. And not to minimize them, but they're, they're nothing compared to the beauty of the sound of music that we will sing in heaven. Like they're, they're but a shadow and a taste of what we will have. So think of the best worship experience you've ever had of singing praises. Maybe your hands are lifted, you're... You have thousands of people around you or 10 people around you or maybe alone in your car, whatever it was, that's going to be a small portion of how good it's going to be in heaven. Now, the, the famous composer Beethoven, as many people know, he went, he went deaf. And he still performed and still composed music, which is a miracle unto itself that God gave him that much ability at music. But he, when he died... The, the uh, saying goes that the last few words on his, on his mouth were, I shall hear in heaven. He looked forward to the ability that he would have that Jesus would restore his hearing. 
And so he hoped for the restoration of his physical hearing. But unless we hear spiritually, then we have no hope of being with Jesus in heaven. And so we have to pray. We should pray for physical healing of our hearing, but we should pray for our spiritual hearing to be restored so we can listen to the words of life. And so the first one, Jesus heals a paralyzed guy. Second one, someone who's mute and deaf. And then in Mark 8, 22 to 30, he heals someone of their blindness. And it says in Mark 8, 22 to 30, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Once again, hands-on healing. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Jesus, as an aside here, he, he didn't do everything that he did in front of everyone. He wasn't trying to heal just for a show. He was healing people to teach them and to help them. And so he took him away from the crowds. And then when he had spit on the man's eyes, again, a doctor probably wouldn't do that these days, and he put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his, his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, Mark is very intentional. He puts these two kind of different events, but ties them together. Because he's talking about blindness here. And Jesus, could Jesus have healed this guy in one shot? Just fully restored his sight? Of course he could. But he didn't. He healed him in two steps. And Jesus always has a reason for what he's doing. And so the, the intention that he's, that he's showing here is that our blindness is stubborn. Blindness is something that doesn't get healed right away. Sometimes it gets restored a little bit. You can see just a little bit. And then over time, you see a little bit more. And again, this physical condition of this man is related to the spiritual condition of humanity. And the Jesus' disciples... Uh, they followed him around for three years until he died. And this is somewhere a little bit later on in his ministry. But they, at first, they just knew that he, was a, that he was a great teacher, a great prophet. But now, they've been walking with him for a while, and they come to the point where they, Peter declares, I see you, I see you as the Messiah. And so they see Jesus for who he is. They realize he's the Messiah. But even that, they don't fully realize fully who Jesus is until after he dies and rises again because their spiritual blindness their understanding of seeing Jesus for who he is is a process that takes time and so Jesus is showing the stubbornness of human blindness and so at first this man sees nothing uh, he, and then he sees little trees walking around and then finally he sees everything clearly so the disciples just as all the rest of the human beings are initially spiritually blind. They have no eyes to see who God is or what he's doing. And then maybe after you start learning a little bit more about Jesus, about God, and what he's doing for you, maybe you see a little bit. You see things a little blurry. But eventually, we will see everything clearly. 
And so when we see Jesus clearly for who he is, for the, for the Messiah, for the one who loves you, who wants the best things for you, you truly have your eyes opened. But even it says uh, now that we only see in part, we only know in part, but there will come a day where we will know fully and we will see fully. So even now, we can only see part and understand part of who Jesus is. And so Jesus progressively restores our ability to see the spiritual, to see the spiritual realm. Now, the spiritual realm is something that, uh, unless you're actually paying attention, it's really easy to miss and ignore. It's easy to look at the surface level things. It's easy to look at our, our physical states of our bodies. It's easy to look at the news and think, well, if, if we just got along a little better, then it would be better. But the truth is that, that there is a war happening. There's a spiritual war on the individual scale and on the worldwide scale. That there is an enemy of the human soul that is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is trying to open our eyes to see what that is like. And now, I know uh, I'm looking around, I'm seeing quite a few pairs of glasses here, so others could maybe, uh, could, could relate to this. But for myself, I, uh, if I don't wear contacts or glasses... I, I'm not blind, but I can do a pretty good impression of what blindness looks like. <laughs> and for those who have never had to use corrective lenses, I thought I would use something to illustrate this. So Jesus progressively restores our sight. So he takes us from, uh, from seeing like this. Dramatic pause. Next one. From that to who can read what that says to that. So first you can see a vague image of what it was. And then it says, Jesus loves you. Come love him. Jesus says, come and follow after me. And so God creates a way for us to have our sight restored. And to have our spiritual blindness cured. But it takes following after Jesus. It takes willing him to, to heal you physically. To heal you spiritually. To heal you emotionally. Now, Jesus doesn't, didn't heal absolutely everyone that was on the earth. He healed lots of people. So many people that crowds came and brought people to him to be healed. But he didn't heal absolutely everyone. And I don't know why. One day maybe we'll ask him, but Jesus doesn't heal absolutely everyone. But the one thing that he did tell us to do is to go and do what he did. And that's to make disciples of people of all nations. And he says that he will give us power from on high. And that power he gave, it's called the Holy Spirit. So the same healing work that Jesus began, we are commanded as followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, to continue. And in Acts 3, 7 to 8, Peter actually heals a paralyzed man. It says, Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. They went with, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. The people that followed after Jesus, uh, they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were able to do miracles as well. Now the disciples, the apostles, the 12 special chosen people, they were able to do these amazing miracles. While Jesus was on earth, and then uh, the 11 after Jesus died and rose again, were, along with all of the others that were followers of Jesus, received the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is inside all people who have faith in Jesus. Now, Jesus came to bring you healing and wholeness. 
He came to restore your lameness. I like that because I like saying that's lame. But he came to restore your paralysis, your inability to walk and follow after Jesus. He came to restore your ability to follow him. He came to restore your hearing and your voice, to be able to hear the words of life, to be able to hear the voice of your maker, and then to give you the ability to share those words with other people. Like a dying man in a desert who has found the spring of life, we have the ability to point other people to that spring of life. It's not that we have that ourselves, but it's that Jesus pours that life through us. And then lastly, he cures our spiritual blindness, our inability to see the world the way it truly is. He gives us the ability to see that he is at work, that he is working, that the spiritual realm, the kingdom of heaven is truly here and it's coming and it's not yet. It's, it's a hard thing to explain, but it means that Jesus is at work, that he's progressively restoring humanity to himself. And so all followers of Jesus have that same Holy Spirit inside of us. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, you have the opportunity to search out his claims, to read the Bible for yourself, and to learn more and more about who Jesus is. And he will open your ears, and he will restore your walking, and he will restore your sight. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, then let's be about the business that Jesus has set us to. Let's be people who are going about doing the Father's business. Let's be going about and healing this broken world. So we personally can be healed, and we can be people who through faith can help other people to be healed. Now, will people always be restored physically? No. We have examples in our own lives of people we know that haven't been healed when we prayed the prayer of faith. And it's a cop-out to say that maybe we didn't have enough faith. Maybe we had enough faith that God didn't heal that person because he knew it would be better for us somehow. Maybe that's, it actually sometimes takes way more faith to not receive healing physically than to receive healing physically. Sometimes it takes more faith not to be healed physically than it takes to be healed physically because it means that you're surrendered to God's will. When we say, not my will be done, but your will be done, Jesus. That's not, that's not a cop-out. Saying, well, if, just in case he doesn't heal. No, it's a surrender to who God is. It's a surrender that he is the healer and he has what's best for us. So as the, the worship team comes up this morning and helps us to, to lead us in response of worship, I have three practical ways that we can act on this morning's message. The first is to read the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't started yet, start reading it. If you have started, keep going. If you've already finished it, start again. How's that? And then the second is to ask. Ask Jesus to remove some of your blind spots. All of us have them. Things that maybe areas of our lives that aren't fully surrendered to God. But ask God to remove blind spots in your life. And the third is to pray for someone who is sick. Pray that prayer of faith for somebody. Maybe it's a family, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's somebody you just meet on the street. Ask them, can I pray for you? And pray with faith. And will God always heal that person? No. But we are commanded to pray that prayer of faith. Now, uh, as the worship team just begins leading us quietly, I want to ask uh, for us to respond in this way, that, uh, that I'm fully willing to pray for somebody for healing, but 
I, I would hope and pray that all those who are followers of Jesus in this room would be willing to do the same, to pray for somebody who needs healing. So I want us to respond that if you're in need of healing this morning, that if you're in need for something, that you would turn to somebody around you and you would ask them to pray for you. And if it's helpful, bring them up with you to the kneeling altars if, or even your pew. God answers prayers from his saints, from those who are followers after him, whether they're a pastor or whether they're a congregant. God answers prayer. And so as I lead us in, in corporate prayer, even lead out in your own private individual prayers together in small groups. And if you'd like, you can come up to the front and I can pray for you or somebody else will come and pray for you. But the prayer of God's people are powerful. Jesus was the promised healer and he gave us that same power through his Holy Spirit. That in faith we can pray and say God's will be done. So would you please join me in prayer? And you guys can just play quietly if you'd like. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the incarnate Son of God, the firstborn of all creation. You are the creator of everything in the universe. For the scriptures speak of you when they say, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through you and for you. And you are before all things, and in you all things hold together, Jesus. You created every texture, every aroma, the unseen beauties under the sea, the gliding rainbow of a cell, the stripes on a bumblebee, the trackless fleeing galaxies, every speck of stellar dust. You were existing before these things were, and you hold all things together in your hand. And as the firstborn of all creation, you are the heir of everything in the universe. And indeed, it's very goal. As you, Christ, affirmed at the end of the revelation, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. May those who are doubting their significance in this uncaring world grasp the immensity of your person and the vast love with which they are loved. And likewise, those reeling from rejection, overcome with loneliness, struggling to provide, dealing with errant children, or aging and facing the loss of a loved one. May the astonished wonder of your death on the cross for us, eternal Son and Creator and Sustainer, and the unending uh, tide of your love cause us to rest in you. And Jesus, in our bulletin, we have a list of people that need healing, that need your touch. And I know those are a small portion of the, the needs in this room, Lord. There are people that need your physical healing. There are people that need your emotional healing. There are people that need your psychological healing. And Lord, there are those who need your spiritual healing. Jesus, it's not about us being better. It's about you being good enough. May we rest in you. You alone are worthy. And you call us sons and daughters. And Lord, you long to restore our relationship with you. It's not about what we can do for you. It's about what you have done for us. And so I pray that we would be people who would be faithful in prayer for others, that we would be intercessors that would go out, see someone in need of prayer, and pray for them, Jesus. May we have faith. We have faith and we believe. Help our unbelief. Help the times that we doubt your goodness. Help us in the times when we doubt that you are the healer. And so, Jesus, I pray this prayer of faith and say, may your will be done. Heal us and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.